Hello, I don't know if you can hear me, it's a little bit loud where I am. I'm out a bit of a party thing, as you can probably hear, which is kind of appropriate because what I'm going to be talking about today is parties. is going to get quite distracting isn't it I'm going to give it a go well hang on how about we try this well that's better isn't it of course it kind of feels obvious to say this I'm not really at a party I never go to parties so you know but I thought it would be a bit of fun to start off with a little bit of background noise anyway why don't I go to parties? I throw enough of them. It's all because of this little thing called social anxiety. Now, let's take a long step back here. Let's take a step back to the days when I did go to parties. You know, kids' parties are funny things. I know I had them as a kid because I found the photos recently. This stack of photos that I've got in my study here at home is is going to get talked about quite a lot and there are plenty of photos of kids parties mostly my parties they're always in my dad's living room at home and at the time my dad had a dining table with a few chairs in the bay window of the living room and it would be friends it would be my cousins from the family um, and they would come round and there'd usually be about half a dozen to ten of us and there'd be plates of biscuits and those, 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 are they biscuits? They must be biscuits, like a flat biscuit with lumps of marshmallow covered in coconut and a run of jam up the middle. You know, I mentioned those about a year ago and somebody ended up bringing some when they came to visit. It was kind of cool, but you know, they've got smaller. It's the same with all these bars of chocolate. I'm not just... I don't think it's just that I've got bigger since I was a kid. I think the bars of chocolate have actually got smaller. But anyway, there'd be those things arranged on a plate and there'd be some jellies and the jellies would be set in a bowl. You'd get paper bowls and you'd pour the jelly in and you'd let the jelly set. And if it was a really extravagant party, you'd pile on squirty cream on top. And there was always a birthday cake. Now, my birthday cakes were generally themed. I remember there was one in the shape of a piano. I've got pictures of that one. One that I don't seem to have pictures of was one in the shape of the TARDIS. I remember it in my mind. It was a TARDIS standing up. It wasn't a flat drawing of a TARDIS made in cake. It was actually a three-dimensional TARDIS. It was brilliant. I wish I had a photo. I used to enjoy those parties, I think. Well, as much as you do as a kid. There were signs there that maybe I wasn't as at ease as I was supposed to be, whatever that means. But, you know, I I joined in. I had the kids round. They'd sing happy birthday. It would be something I'd look forward to. I do remember, though, there would be this thing where the kids would all join hands and I'd stand in the middle of the circle and they'd all join hands around me and they'd sing happy birthday at me. And... I remember that there became this kind of game where I would try to escape from the circle and they would form a barrier and keep me in the circle. And it was kind of fun, but 
there was something else going on there, wasn't there? I didn't want to be the centre of attention. I didn't want people singing at me for my birthday. It's still something I hate now. Do you know, I've organised a birthday thing this year and people are under strict instructions. I don't want birthday surprises. I don't want cake. I don't want ever. And it's not that I'm saying it because I don't want them to go to the fuss or I want to be polite. I really hate it. It's odd that somebody who does their own podcast and is frankly as outspoken as I am at times can say that they hate being the centre of attention, but I really don't like being the centre of attention. I'm at my happiest when I'm blending in. I don't want people to notice me. I want people to think of me and I want people to think fondly of me, but I certainly don't want people to pay attention to me. I remember when I was a kid, I was also quite into magic. And one year... There was a magician hired, and he was quite good. He did the standard kids' tricks. You know, there was a hat with a fake rabbit, and there was putting your finger through a thing that would pretend to cut it off, and there were handkerchiefs being pulled out of all sorts of places. And me being the birthday boy, I was called to the front. I was the centre of attention. He was talking to me. He was directing the magic at me. And I remember hating it. I remember that... One of his gimmicks, if you like, was to accidentally refer to me as Susan. The idea, of course, was that I'd be a bit embarrassed and correct him back to Daniel. and then, But I didn't. I just went with it. It wasn't funny to me. It wasn't funny to mock somebody in that way. I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest. I know that... The intentions were good. And at the time, it was, you know, it was a thing. There was a magician in my house. That was cool. But I still don't remember with any fondness at all being part of the magic act. I think I've talked about the time when there was a kid called up on stage at the Garden Festival in Liverpool. And part of the act was they had to swap their shirt. And I remember feeling to myself, I'm so glad that wasn't me. And I was mortified. And I was... I was sitting in fear that I would be picked to go up on stage. I didn't enjoy that show at all. So, you know, the signs were there that at some point in my life, I wasn't going to enjoy parties. Going on through teenagers, I tried to be sociable. You do, don't you? You try to put yourself out there. You go to the pub once you're old enough or once you're almost old enough with friends. And I did have what I'd call friends at school, but I was never, I was never one to go to teenage parties. I was never one to, to have friends in that way. I used to go to lots of family parties. Now, my dad's side of the family especially, there were a lot of family parties and they were always great fun. I did genuinely enjoy going to those and I still do when that side of the family throw a party. There was always lots of people and everybody knew each other and it was a lovely atmosphere. Even as a kid, it was a great atmosphere. But as time went on, I found my my love of parties slipping, my love of social situations slipping. I needed it. I'm somebody who most people think of as an introvert. As soon as you use words like shy and anxious, the word introvert comes up and people go, oh, you're an introvert, you're an introvert. But actually, strictly, 
an introvert is somebody who derives their energy from themselves and an extrovert is somebody who derives that energy from other people. I think I'm actually an extrovert. When I look at when am I at my most energetic, when am I at my most alive, it's when I'm with other people. I get that energy from other people. The social interaction with other people gives me a buzz that I simply can't get on my own. And that's why it's so immensely frustrating that anxiety is also the thing that prevents me getting that thing that I need, that interaction with other people in that way. Through my teenage years, I did did socialise a bit, and especially at university. At university, there were always events and there was new people to meet and you go to any number of parties in a given week. But, you know, the truth is at university, I had alcohol to get me through it. And I say that flippantly, but it's actually true. I drank far more than I should at university, and everybody says that. Everybody says I enjoyed myself at university, but the truth is, alcohol was was the thing that relaxed me to the point that I could go and be sociable, that I could forget the worries about what other people were thinking of me. It wasn't a healthy way to live, and it still wouldn't be. But there was still a lot of socialising going on. I met a lot of people at university. A lot of my best friends now are still people that I met 20 years ago at university. There was an interesting... um, Last year, actually, at a garden party here here at home, um, I'd found some photos from when I was at Cambridge, and a few of us decided to recreate one or two of the photos. And um, there was one where there was four of us sitting on the ground, and we we got down on the ground and we recreated the original position really quite accurately. Got the photo, and we're like, that's cool. And, you know, even if I say so myself, we're not looking bad for 20 years later. I mean, the interesting part was watching four people in their early 40s try and get up off the floor without help. That was, that was not elegant. But, you know, those two photos are 21 years apart and they come in completely different circumstances. All of our lives have changed. You know, of the three people in that photo, we're all in long-term relationships. Three of the people in the photo are married and two of them have got two kids each. Life's changed. Life's moved on. But it's nice to have those connections to the past. It's nice to have those those people from the past. We've changed, but we're still friends. Those are the people I feel comfortable with. I guess those are the people I've known for long enough that I'm less concerned about what they think. I'm, I'm less worried how they think of me. You know, I met them at a time when I wasn't this anxious about being sociable. And so I think part of that carries through. Part of that allows me to still continue being sociable with those people because it's based on who I was then, not who I am now. I was never really comfortable with the socialising at university. And as I say, alcohol played a large part in getting me through it. I know... Something we'll touch upon in later episodes is that some people resort to other drugs to get them through that. And you know, one thing I can honestly say is I never did. It just wasn't me. I don't even remember drugs being something that was particularly around me when I was younger. I don't remember ever 
being in a situation where it's something I had to explicitly decide not to do. It just wasn't something that entered my world. Sure, yeah, there was a lot of alcohol, and quite a few of my friends did smoke cigarettes socially after the alcohol. I never even did that. I think that growing up in a family of smokers, it never really appealed to me. You'd think that growing up in a family where so many people smoked, it would have been natural that I'd have picked up a cigarette. But I can honestly say I never have. Not even once. I'd love to say that's as the result of some moral stand, but it's not. It's just simply that I've never been one to break the rules. I've never been one to push the boundaries. I think we covered this in the uh, episode where I talked a bit about school. I never wanted to break the rules. And so... I never smoked cigarettes. I never went to seek out other drugs. It just didn't it didn't occur to me that that was a thing to do. I guess I was too worried about the consequences. I was too I was too bound by the rules to do that. I don't get me wrong. I'm glad now that I don't smoke and I'm glad that I never took any illegal drugs. I mean, I've you know, I've got enough problems with my mental health as it is. I'm pretty glad that drug usage hasn't played a part in making that worse university was a place of meeting many people you know I did lots of things they were it was my formative time but after university I kept in touch with the people I've been friends with there but life changes again universities are strange environments at Cambridge we all lived in colleges and we were constantly round at each other's colleges and Almost every day you'd see somebody for lunch or a joint supervision and then you'd go for something to eat or a drink afterwards. Or you'd see people for dinner after you'd finished working for the day. Or you'd just go round to somebody's college rooms and have a chat or make a stir-fry together or any of those things. I mentioned stir-fry because it's actually one of my friends at Cambridge who first taught me how to make a stir-fry. You'd think it would be an obvious thing, but actually it was something I'd never done until I was about 19. And I remember my friend round at the, the girls' college next door, I popped round and we cooked a stir-fry. I was one of the few people to have a car at Cambridge because none of my immediate family could drive at the time. My only realistic way of getting there with stuff was to drive. And so I got a permit from the college to park a car, which was quite rare and actually made me quite popular with people that wanted to do a daily, daily, do a weekly run to Tesco's out of town. We used to know that it was exactly the length of the Sisters of Mercy track, This Corrosion, the album version, from Barhill Tesco's back to Newnham College in Cambridge. We used to come back with strawberry and lemon woodies. I remember Alcopops. Where have Alcopops gone? You don't see them at all anymore. I was in Waitrose the other day and I noticed there are no Alcopops. Have they gone completely? I mean, it's not something I go out to specifically buy, but they just seem to have disappeared. I guess everybody's drinking artisan gin these days, aren't they? Do the youngsters drink gin? I don't know what people drink. Anyway, after... Cambridge, yeah, I had parties at the house and I'd go to other people's house parties, but they were smaller affairs. When you're in a university town and you're surrounded by hundreds of people, it's easy to have a party where 50 people turn up. 
because that's where everybody is. That's what everybody's doing. Once everybody's got their own lives and they're scattered across the country, it's actually hard to bring that number of people together. And a party went from being a room so packed with people that you couldn't move into being six people sitting on the sofa sharing a takeaway. It was a different kind of experience. I used to go out to a local pub in Worcester when I lived over there and it was about the only gay pub I ever went to. It was run by a lesbian couple and it was a very chilled atmosphere. It was like a pub. It just happens to be run by a lesbian couple and have quite a few gay clientele. But my life's changed since then. With the last time I went to a pub regularly was when we used to do the pub quiz in Wapping. It actually started off, I can't remember, it was friends who went to one or two invited us and then we got quite into the quiz and we invited other people and we ended up forming a team of six and we were quite a close-knit team. The same six people would go every week and we did that for a couple of years and we would have substitutes in when people dropped out and, you know, we once had CJ from Eggheads come and join the team. That's a different story though. And we did quite well. I mean, I'm quite good. As long as there isn't a sports round or a films round, I'm generally pretty good. We generally come quite high in the scores and we'd win prize money and the prize money would go in the pot and it would be enough to buy a meal once a year or something. And we were one of the known teams. We had our regular table by the window and it was kind of fun for a while. I think the pub quiz for me, I can feel... As I think about that, I can feel how my views on it changed. I can feel that during the time I was going for the pub quiz, I went from being enthusiastic to join in, to retreating into myself. I'd get something to eat and I'd start hiding at the side of the team and I wouldn't really want to engage. I'd just give a few answers and a few missed weeks here and there became a few missed months here and there and the team became more and more of substitutes. And in the end... I ended up leaving the team that I'd kind of started. It's no malice, of course. The team might even still be going. I think it is going under the same name. The team was called the Stockholm Syndrome. It was called that because I used to go to Stockholm a lot with work. There was nothing to do with being held captive by something that wasn't particularly fun. Well, not consciously. But I couldn't do a pub quiz now. I know that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, and I know it's it sounds strange probably to say that the idea of walking into a pub is something that makes me anxious. That's something that most people enjoy doing. That's something that most people will do once a week after work. They'll they'll go along to the pub with a group of friends and even if they don't drink they'll They'll enjoy themselves, they'll throw themselves into it, they'll have a laugh, they'll have a giggle and they'll go home and they'll go, oh, that was nice. And I, and no, that doesn't happen for me. I genuinely can't remember the last time I went to that kind of pub event. Do you know, I don't even go to work's drinks. I haven't been to a work's Christmas party for quite a few years. Actually, the last one I did go to, I got really quite drunk. I can't remember much about it. I remember it was down in Richmond and it was in a hotel and I remember some Prosecco and I remember that for some reason Liam Gallagher was there briefly 
And I remember in the taxi on the way home, I got frustrated because all the little icons on my phone were moving around and I couldn't use Twitter. Hmm. But that's about all I can remember. I, I was quite ill for a couple of days after that, actually. But I haven't been to one since. The following year, there was actually a genuine excuse why I couldn't go. And there was a sense of relief that I couldn't go. I never really enjoyed Christmas parties. I think, to be honest, the time when I got very drunk, it was a way from escaping the fact that I wasn't enjoying this at all. And over time, I've not been to a Christmas party since. Sometimes there's genuine excuses and sometimes I just don't go. People always say, of course, oh, you must come. Oh, it's a shame you can't make it. And you go into work the following day or the following Monday if it was on a Friday and people tell you how much fun it was and how much you missed out on. And I pretend that, oh, it's a real shame I missed that. I would have loved to have been there. The truth is, though, I would have loved to have been there. The pretending bit coming comes from me talking as though it was a possibility. It never was, really. Throughout all the years that I've seen various counsellors and therapists, it's it's been something that I've often set myself as a goal. I would love to go to this year's Christmas party. I never do. You know, I don't, I don't know anybody from work's going to be listening to this, but it's very hard. It's very hard to explain that you can't go to the Christmas party. I just don't enjoy the build-up. Of course, I feel like I'm missing out when I'm not there. Of course, I sit at home feeling melancholy in the extreme at the fact that everybody else is doing this thing that's fun and I just wish I could be there and I can't and of course that hurts. It's a feeling that's familiar to me. I I don't do something because at the time I don't have a choice. At the time the anxiety builds until the fight or flight response causes me to fly. But I don't see myself going to Christmas parties at any time in the future. I don't even really see myself meeting a friend in a pub. I just... The idea of walking to a pub and opening the door and going in and it being full of people and me finding a friend and sitting down and chatting with them. That fills me with fear like you wouldn't believe. And so, I don't do it. And of course it kills friendships. You know, not everybody's going to understand that that doesn't work for me. That that's, that's a situation that makes me anxious. You know, the, there's a couple of things people say to me. One of the things people say to me quite often is, oh, why don't you go and see how you feel? Why don't you go for a bit and see if you enjoy it? I get where it's coming from. It's coming from a place of trying to help. It's coming from a place of trying to be encouraging, but it's not encouraging and it doesn't help. The problem is, for me, 
It's like I'm in a plane about to do a parachute jump. The falling isn't the hard part. There's not a lot you could do about that. Once you're out the plane, you're going to fall. But the fear is jumping out. The jump is the bit that you're trying to avoid, not the falling. And you can't jump a bit. And so I avoid talking to people about it. You know, one of the things that's happened to me over the past year is I've become a lot more open about my mental health. I think that's a good thing. We'll get on to talking in a future episode about work and how my mental health affects work. But I think in my life, it's a good thing to be open about it. The world has changed in the way it thinks about mental health. And actually, I think it's fine to be open about the struggles these days. But I think there's still a lack of taking it seriously. You know, if I had a broken leg and said, I'm sorry I can't go on that 20-mile walk with you, but I've got a broken leg, people wouldn't say to me, well, why don't you start walking and see how it feels? And yet they do when I say I can't do that because it makes me feel anxious. The other thing people say to me is, but you hold a huge garden party every year. How does that work? Well, it's true. We do. This year, the garden party happened just over a month ago. It was in July. It was on a lovely sunny day and we had way over 100 people. We had karaoke. We had competitions. We had food. We had food stalls. We had bouncy castles. There was friends, family, colleagues all together in one place. It was a huge event. And yet, I was there. I don't think... I don't think I get through the party without problems. And, you know, I'm cautious about talking about this because I don't want anybody who comes to the party who gets invited to the party thinking I don't enjoy it. I do. I really do enjoy it. But it's not without its troubles. You know, in the run-up to the party, I really enjoy the act of bringing people together. It's really nice to see so many people from different walks of my life in the same place talking to each other. It's nice to see people having fun. It's nice to see people around in the garden, milling around the place. It's nice to see the place alive. It's nice to see all these people I know in the one place. It gives me that energy that, as an extrovert, I crave. But it's fraught with anxiety in the run-up. It's quite usual that between sending out the invites for the party and the party itself, I'll have at least two or three days where I convince myself I'm going to have to cancel the party because I can't face it. I never do cancel the party because I know it's going to pass. And I know that I'm, I'm used enough to this cycle to know what's happening. During the party itself, I'm generally fine. Of course, I worry that I haven't spoken enough to people and are people enjoying themselves and we kind of ran a bit short on food vouchers this year and that upset me slightly, but it was all fine and the following day we tidied up and that was a busy day and then I sat down and then 
then the depression comes. I know it's going to come after every party. It always does. I could put it in the calendar. I could say these days are going to be a write-off because you're going to have exhausted yourself at the party. And I think that's what happens. I think that I I am sociable. I use up all that energy. And when it comes to the Monday, I've got nothing left. People are talking to me about what a great time they had, and it's lovely to hear that. But actually, I've retreated to my own place. I've got to think of a strategy, and I think I've thought of one for next year. And the party's going to be happening again next year. And I'm going to enjoy it. I always enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy the setup. I'm going to enjoy the new things I'm putting together for the party. But I know there's going to be that period afterwards. And it's just the price I pay for enjoying myself at the party. It's like a hangover. You drink so much, you know you're going to have a hangover. But the hangover is a price you're prepared to pay. I don't drink alcohol anymore, so my hangover is the depression. I know it's going to come. But next year, it's not going to be a surprise. So hopefully that will make it a bit easier. But it's still, I guess it's still confusing to people how somebody who is socially anxious can hold a party for 100 people. I think to some people, they feel that if I could do that, then maybe I don't suffer anxiety in the way I claim to. That's, that's something that I've, I've talked about with a few people. I don't think that people don't believe me. I think that people don't understand how something that to them can be normal can cause anxiety in somebody else. I mean, one of the things about me, and I've said this before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, is that I tend to become anxious in situations that other people wouldn't. And I tend not to become anxious in situations that other people might. And I think what that does is that causes me to, to appear a contradiction. I can stand up in front of a group of people where I don't know many of them and conduct a wedding ceremony for two good friends. I can stand up in a lecture theatre and deliver a presentation to 400 people without cracking. I can't walk into a pub to meet a friend for a drink. I can't go to a work Christmas party. It's not that I don't want to. It's just that I can't. I really can't. In that moment, I don't have a choice. I don't have the choice to try it and see how it goes. I don't have the choice to to force myself through it. Anxiety, when it's at its most acute, is at its most powerful. It grips you. It seizes you. There's a reason it's called an anxiety attack. It is an attack. Everything else shuts down and your only priority is to remove whatever's causing the anxiety. And of course, if that's a party you're about to go to, then the way to remove the anxiety is not to go to the party. It's not a rational choice I make not to go. Of course, I do make the rational choice in advance quite a lot now. Friends invite me to parties and I say no. 
Friends invite me to weddings and I say no. Friends invite me to birthday parties and I say no. It's not that I don't want to go. It's not that I don't like that person. I would love to go and spend time with that person and their friends. It's about self-care. It's about not putting myself through what's going to happen if I do go. I've come a long way. I've come a long way from the person at university who drink an entire bottle of vodka and go be the life and soul of the party. You could talk about which one is the real me. Is the real me the person that was then outgoing and drunken and vivacious? Or is the real person who I am now? Is the real person the anxious me and the alcohol is what got me to that person? Or was that the real person and the anxiety is what's got me to here? I guess fundamentally it doesn't really matter. What matters is the person I am now socially doesn't make me happy. I want to be able to go to those parties. I want to be able to talk to people. I want to be able to get that energy from other people. I just don't see a way to make it happen. This episode of Anxious Laughter was recorded on the 23rd of August 2019. It was written and read and edited and produced by me, Dan McNeil. <laughs>